We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Thousands rescued, tens of thousands in need of shelter and food in hundreds of cities facing a long-term recovery from the record-breaking rainfall of Harvey. The governor of Texas says it will take years to dig out from this catastrophe, so what if it happened here in Chicagoland? I'm Cisco Cotto for political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. The aftermath of Hurricane Harvey is taxing every aspect of emergency response. The Federal Emergency Management Agency is expecting nearly a half million people to seek some sort of disaster aid. And it's now estimated Harvey is likely to be the second most costly natural disaster in U.S. history next to Hurricane Katrina. That inflicted $175 billion in damage and lost economic activity. Here to talk about the response to Harvey and how we can be prepared here in Chicagoland in case a similar disaster came our way, our guest today, John Nebel, with the DuPage County Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Management, and Yvette Alexander Maxey, Regional Manager of External Relations with the Red Cross. Thanks to both of you for being here today. Uh, let's begin with Yvette, uh, specifically about Harvey. Uh, you haven't been to the disaster zone, but like all of us, we've been seeing it on TV. Uh, what kind of a reaction do you have when you just see that level of devastation? I think it's. You, you start off, it's heartbreaking to see it. Um, it's heartbreaking to see the level of damage, uh, to see the number of people that have been impacted by it. Um, it it's, it's extremely sad to see just the, the overall devastation of it. And people are trying to do their best to survive. And so you're seeing the rescues of people, but you're also seeing um, what I would say is the more hopeful aspects of the, of the disaster, which is people stepping forward to help whether it is neighbors, whether it is, uh, you know, volunteers such as the Red Cross coming from all over the country. Just, I think those two things are, are, are the two things that strikes me the most. John, same question to you, especially given you're someone who, along with a lot of other people, prepare for situations like this. What goes through your mind when you, you see that level of devastation? Like Yvette said, it's it's just heartbreaking to see what those folks are having to, to deal with. Um, I really can't even come up with words to describe what you see there. But working in emergency management, almost immediately you start thinking uh, those two words we use all the time, what if? What if something of such a nature happens here? Uh, how would we have prepared ahead of time? What would we be doing right now to respond and assist those folks? And then at the end, two parts, the recovery. How do we help that community get back on its feet and get back to normal life if, if something like that can happen after that and how do we get ready for the next one yeah and does that when you see something like this not not that uh, responders are asleep at the switch or anything on a, on a normal day but but does it kind of uh, jolt you a little bit like hey hey this could happen here something similar could happen here we we need to make sure that we have all our ducks in a row Fortunately, big disasters don't happen very often, but I think that's probably the big problem is that because they don't happen often, a sense of complacency can develop, and uh, sometimes you 
be able to prepare and get ready for it. So uh, we try to keep on our toes. Uh, our agency, the folks I work with, uh, we're, we're doing it all the time. If somebody sees an article regarding something, they'll share it with the rest of us to, to generate some thought and discussion on it. Uh, we have a morning briefing at our agency, and if something's happening right now, uh, we'll have discussions of it. Uh, hey, did you see this? What do you think about that? Again, what would we be doing right now? Our bosses are challenging us, and they're, they're testing us every day, so that way we can be better prepared and be ready. Yeah, Yvette, we want to find out what the Red Cross does in a situation like this. But first, why don't you uh, let everyone listening know how they could help if they wanted to, in some way, support the Red Cross as they really help out a lot with Hurricane Harvey. And so there are a variety of ways that people can help. Um, we are um, soliciting for donations, financial donations. We're asking people to either go to 1-800-RED-CROSS or to text Harvey at 90999. Um we are also looking for volunteers, people who want to volunteer, especially those that live in Texas. Um, we are also working with our donors as it relates to uh, getting supplies, uh, bulk supplies down there to help everyone also. So those are the ways that, that we're really looking for people to help. Now, when it comes to volunteers, if someone's in Chicagoland and they're really feeling compelled, hey, I, I want to take a week off work and I, I want to go down to Texas, is that something easy for someone to do, to just call the Red Cross and say, I want to go down there, or does that just get really complicated? Well, I, I don't want to say that it's easy or it's complicated. We strive to make sure that we have people who are trained to do the necessary work down there. And so it isn't an easy thing to call and just say, I want to volunteer for the Red Cross, send me down to Texas. It is more so of, I want to volunteer for the Red Cross. What sort of training do I need ahead of time? And then can I be deployed down to Texas? So that way you're all ready to go. And I would imagine it's tough for an organization like the Red Cross to have to be training people during the actual cleanup from the disaster. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. But, you know, that's some of the things that we that we have to do. And we want to make sure that everyone that, that goes and that they are helping, that they know what they're doing, that they understand the expectations of the, of the organization, and that they also understand the environment that they're going to come into also. You can expect that. And, and it's going to be highly stressful. You know, people are going through a lot. And so just coming from where you are right now into that sort of environment unprepared, it's just not the best thing for anyone involved. And so that's why we stress that we want our people to be trained. We want them to understand the environment they're going to go into so that they can do their very best to help us in providing comfort and care. Uh, John, since you're part of a, a governmental agency, really a governmental network in a lot of respects, are there ways that average people can get involved in in helping or are, are you kind of uh, over in the domain of of the government running things and, and you sort of have your your paid trained responders that you're working with could an average person help out with you oh most definitely um a, a lot of emergency management agencies especially local municipal ones do have a volunteer core or cadre and uh, you know check with your local municipality do they have uh, volunteers that work in emergency management? I, I know a lot of folks in, in DuPage County with their local EMAs that get paged out all the time. And it, it might be something like traffic direction when there is telephone or uh, electrical lines down or a house fire. But again, helping their first responders. Uh, many folks have heard about uh, CERT, Community Emergency Response Teams. And again, that's something that was born out of after 9-11, when, when the, the president uh, established the Citizen Corps. Um, uh, again, in DuPage County, there's a number of CERT teams, which the, the folks train and prepare to assist first responders during disasters. Uh, so there's, <clears throat> pardon me, many ways that folks can get involved. 
Yvette, uh, a lot of people obviously have heard of the Red Cross, but they don't necessarily know exactly what you do in a situation like this. They equate the Red Cross with disaster relief, but give us some more of the nuts and bolts in a situation like Harvey, where there's this level of devastation. What does the Red Cross do, both in the initial stages and also maybe in the weeks and months after that? So we're very fortunate that we have really good relationships with our emergency management and public sector partners so that when John was talking about earlier in regards to planning for a disaster, that we're at the table with them so that when something does happen, we have identified facilities that can be used as shelters. We have identified staffing so that we can surge up based upon the number of people that will be in need of assistance. We have had discussions as relates to um, not only in regards to the sheltering facilities, but of course, feeding people, providing for their emotional and, and, and spiritual care. Um, all of these things are things that we currently have in place right now. Then you look at the aspect of going further down the road of recovery and you're saying um, once people are um, able to leave from the shelters and find temporary housing, what additional needs do they have? And so then we work with them on an individual basis to identify those needs as well as work with a number of uh, with all of the community partners. And I think about all of the community partners to also help the, the, the families address their ongoing needs. Because when we see something like this, like this, this major hurricane, uh, in a few weeks, the TV coverage is going to stop. People move on to other things. I mean, life just goes on. But for the people who are there, who are impacted, this isn't just a six-week or even a six-month thing. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're thinking about the fact that it isn't a six-week or six-month thing, um, it can be years. It could take years for people to recover. You've lost everything. You just can't just flip on the switch and all of a sudden you're back to where you were prior to the to the event occurring. Um, it's going to take a while. And here it is. Not only is it going to take a while for recovery for people individually, it's going to take a while for communities to recover. It's going to take a while for Texas to recover from this. And so it's important that organizations such as the Red Cross and all of the other many organizations down there remain with them, uh, walk hand in hand with them, um, you know, and, and, and try our very best to get them back to, to at least to a, a place where they can recover. Now, John, we've heard what the Red Cross does in a situation like this. What about a government agency, the Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Management? That's what you're with in DuPage County, both in the initial stages of a disaster and also longer term in the weeks and months after it. What sort of role would an agency like yours play? Looking at us specifically on the county level, we are we are definitely in the support function. Um, you've probably heard the FEMA administrators say uh, when dealing with the current hurricane in Texas that all disasters start on the local level and move up. So if something happened in DuPage County, initially that local municipality would be handling it. When their resources become taxed or they're unable to get the further assistance needed, that's where we on the county level would next step in and provide that assistance. But in DuPage County, we're not even necessarily waiting. We're activating our emergency operations center. We're reaching out to that municipality, asking what they need. If they need support, we can provide uh, um, logistical information. We can provide supplies and people. But if it gets to the point where, uh, again, our we become exhausted with what we can provide, we then move up to the next level. We contact the Illinois Emergency Management Agency and, and bring them in. But we don't step out of the role. We continue to uh, provide coordination throughout the entire um, incident. And then afterwards, as Yvette mentioned, recovery. Recovery isn't uh, uh, flipping a switch. Um, you, you look at New Orleans 12 years later from Katrina, and they're still not 100% back. Um, one big aspect is getting involved with FEMA 
and doing the disaster assessment and working with not only municipalities to recover funding that they put into it, but the individual assistance for, for people that have lost everything, getting them the type of federal funding that they need and helping to, again, recover as best as you can. But then the next step is the after action report and improvement plan. What did we learn? What did we do well? What can we do better? And be staged for the next one if possible. Well, speaking of, of what what comes next and, and how we can do better, uh, in the wake of Hurricane Katrina, obviously that's in New Orleans and not here in Chicagoland, but agencies all around the country are paying attention. Uh, are there certain things that emergency management agencies learned from Katrina and, and have decided could be done better if something similar, we're not going to get a hurricane in Chicagoland, but there could be a major flood or tornado or other disaster. Uh, are there lessons learned in a situation like that that are being implemented here in Chicagoland? Well, actually, going back a little bit before Katrina, going back to 9-11, yeah. um, that is one big step that FEMA and emergency management took forward. Uh, the, the need to have a national incident management system, uh, provide training across the board to first responders in the incident command system. So so 9-11 was a, a big step forward in emergency management, and um, Katrina was probably kind of a tune-up at that point. Uh, the president did uh, order a uh, improvement plan, an after-action report, and there were two big keys that came out of it. And uh, the, the one idea they looked at was transforming national preparedness. Uh, if I could just read real quick, we must institutionalize a comprehensive national preparedness system and concurrently foster a new, robust cultural preparedness. Those were the two big things that came out of the Katrina After Action Report that have now pushed emergency management to keep moving forward and to, to be able to uh, do those things. We hear both of those titles. We hear uh, emergency management and we hear homeland security. Uh, are there different aspects uh, of, of how a response and, and even planning ahead of a disaster, but do each of those agencies or, or sub-agencies, I'm not sure how you'd classify them, do they have different roles in a disaster situation? Yes, they do. Um, uh, Homeland Security is generally more law enforcement oriented, uh, terrorism prevention, things along those lines. Um, but again, many times they do go hand in hand with emergency management. Um, emergency management, as we know it today, was born out of civil defense in, in the 1950s and became as the moving forward and emergency management. And, and the five phases of emergency management that we focus on are prevention, preparedness, the responses we're seeing it today to uh, to Harvey, uh, recovery afterwards, and then mitigation. What can we do to, you know, I, I'm sure many mitigation things were done in New Orleans afterwards. How do we prevent this type of flooding if we have this again? And I'm sure some of those things will be looked at in, in Houston as well. But uh, in, in DuPage County, I, I'd say we're probably 95% emergency management, but we work very closely with our law enforcement partners because they are the subject matter experts when it becomes uh, terrorism or other such related issues. You're listening to Ad Issue. I'm Cisco Cotto in today for political editor Craig Delamore. Our guest today, John Nebel with the DuPage Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Management and Yvette Alexander-Maxey, Regional Manager of External Relations with the Red Cross. Here's a question for both of you, and we'll begin with Yvette. Uh, the role of social media now in the aftermath of a disaster, even when it's going on, uh, radically different situation. Uh, how, for the Red Cross specifically, how does social media maybe help, and maybe what are some of the challenges with social media? Because now... Everything going on is out there, and uh, it, it seems like a big challenge just to keep track of it all. And you're, and you're right when you're saying that everything is out there and everything is immediate. Uh, there is no longer a, a time delay, so to speak, between when events occur and when it is shared with the, with the public. So 
on our side of the house, we try to make sure that we keep everyone up to date um, via social media. It has a huge, uh, a huge presence within the Red Cross because of the fact that we know not only are people following us because they want to know about what the Red Cross is doing on a day to day basis, but they also want immediate updates in regards to our response to any sort of large disasters that are occurring around the country. And so, um, yeah, I would say that that's the biggest thing is that it, it gives us that that immediacy to folk. But I think the challenges of it is because of the fact that it is immediate. And um, I think that being able to respond to uh, queries of uh, uh, that are posed to us via social media, um, as well as making sure that we get the most accurate, up-to-date information out there, I think those two things are, are some challenges. Uh, who's monitoring social media in an agency like the Red Cross? Do you have... I'm thinking the people who are sending the information out, right, to alert people, but then also the people who are aggregating everything that's coming in about all the different areas that need help. Yeah, we have a, we have a, a communications team. And so in addition to the print media and the radio, mm-hmm. uh, they also respond and, and post information on social media and, and keep a, a very vigilant eye on what's coming across from the public back to the Red Cross. John, from an emergency management angle, how is social media changed what you do, maybe helped what you do, and, and what role does it play in the aftermath of a disaster? Well, like Yvette said, there's the immediacy. We can get information out right now on social media, Facebook and Twitter, and, and a lot of folks are generally on those even before they're checking the uh, the Internet or unfortunately listening to the radio or, or reading the newspaper. Uh, but I think the problem that we've run into is going back several years, there was a tornado that happened in Washington, Illinois, and I, I I'm assuming a well-meaning individual put up a Facebook page entitled Washington Tornado, but unfortunately some of the information that they were reposting or sharing there was either not 100% accurate or it was delayed or new information was already out, but that person had the wrong information. It took uh, close to 48 hours for the uh, public information officials in the Peoria area to find the person, ask them to take it down so that way people wouldn't be confused. So what my recommendation would be to, to folks listening is that to identify the official sources of information, find your local municipalities, Twitter and Facebook account, your county's Facebook and Twitter account, the Red Cross organizations like that, and make sure that you are following those accounts for the most up-to-date and official information so that way you're not you know, misled by well-meaning individuals that just don't have the latest info. And many of them are well-meaning. They're just oh, yes. trying to help people out mm-hmm. in the community, but they, they may actually be creating some challenges in the way that they're helping out. Uh, let's talk about how you care for the volunteers and how you care for the people who are the uh, what, what I'll call the sort of professional search and rescue uh, operators uh, because in the first 24 hours... You got that adrenaline, it's really pumping, and when 24 moves into 48, moves into a week, moves into four weeks, uh, there is some care that needs to be given to these people. Yvette, how do you do that with volunteers at the Red Cross and uh, even some of your regular staff members over the long haul in a disaster? So you're absolutely correct in regards to um, the care, and it is a challenge when you are going 24-7, when you are working 12, 14, 16-hour days, um, because of the the amount of work, but also the the um, the fact that you want to do your very best in providing comfort and care to those that are around you. And so what we do is not only do we, of course, encourage our staff in self-care, but we also have trained mental health workers who are with us. So not only are the mental health workers um, 
um, trying to their very best to provide the comfort and care to the, uh, those who have been impacted by the disaster. But they're also keeping a very uh, keen eye on our own staff, too, to encourage them to take regular breaks, um, to uh, offer uh, encouragement when they might be feeling down. You know, we're with we're with the people who are impacted. We're hearing their stories. And so not only is it the work that can be quite draining, but also that emotional toll. And so we have to do our very best in regards to our staff as, as a result, um, in, in addition to the people that have been impacted, as well as working with our partners to also say to them, hey, let's go and take a little break um, because of the fact that we've been working so hard. Let's let's just kind of decrease the stress that we have around us. I'll say also one of the nice things that we try to do, too, is to bring a little levity, try and bring a little um, humor um, um, to um, to the environment in such a way that it, it it lightens the load for everyone. We certainly are aware of the fact that we have a number of residents that are within our shelters. We're trying to provide a measure of entertainment, for lack of a better word, so that it can um, so that they're not solely focused on the fact of what happened to them, uh, but it can also be something that can just take their mind off of things, um, as well as providing um, um, care for their children there too. So across the board, whether it's Red Cross volunteers or whether or not it's our partners, whether or not it's the clients or the, the residents that are within the shelters, we try our very best through multiple means to try and provide some, some uh, emotional and, and uh, mental health care. John, how about with the, the people who have been trained to, to really respond in a situation like this. Uh, how are you caring for them? What, what does it look like to allow them to serve over the long haul in a healthy way? Preparedness ahead of time, um, not only for yourself, but for your family. Because when you are deployed and you're away helping people, it's still a little part of your mind is wearing, are your wife and kids and, and loved ones uh, taken care of? So having uh, preparedness kits and, and getting the family squared away so that way at least you can have peace of mind that they're okay. Um, our partnership with the Red Cross, the, the folks that they can bring out and assist in the field. In DuPage County, we're very fortunate to have a great relationship with our health department, and they have a, a behavioral health team that we can activate and deploy to go out and, and assist not only the people impacted by the disaster, but the first responders that are impacted as well. Um, another thing is that keeping deployments at a reasonable um, length. They're generally uh, 14 days, two weeks, and that seems to be just long enough. You can get in, get some good work done, but you're hitting that point at about 14 days where you've got to step out. You've got to get away, decompress. So um, in Katrina, when police and firefighters were sent from Illinois down there to New Orleans, they were sent down on a two-week rotation. So that, that that's another key is, you know, and, and you know, t- taking care of each other, um, looking at your person next to you. Are they okay? And, and like a vet said, needing to know when you can stay, hey, you need to step out. You need to, you know, catch your breath a little bit. Yeah, Yvette, are there times when you literally have to, because whether they're volunteers or they're staffers, they, they want to help. I mean, they, there's a lot of compassion for people. Are there times you have to firmly but lovingly tell them, hey, it's time for you to take a break? All, all the time. <laughs> all the time. All the time. Um, we within uh, Northern Illinois, we just went through um, severe flooding in our area. Um, and for six weeks, we were solely focused on that. And so imagine um, that we have volunteers that have been, uh, as John stated, you're working 12, 14 hours, um, um, but for two weeks at a time. And now you're transitioning and um, you're now working down in Texas. And so 
it is important and you do have to pull people to the side. Um, you do have to say, let's take a walk around the block. Um, and that's very much important. We also make sure when our volunteers come back from deployment that uh, they speak with one of our mental health staff because it just doesn't end once you're back home. The stress can co be compounded because now you have all of this emotion with you. And so we try to address that with them when they come back. Yeah, it's not like a light switch that flips off when you get home. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about how the average person can prepare for a natural disaster. Since one may come, one may never come. It, it may be flooding. It may be a tornado. Who knows what it might be? Uh, John, what advice would you have for people in their homes, in their cars, to be able to be prepared if something like this happens? Because when it happens, it happens quickly often. A couple of great places to look, uh, FEMA.gov, uh, Ready Illinois, which is the Illinois Emergency Management uh, Agency's website, and a, a selfish plug for us in DuPage, uh, Protect DuPage. Uh, check out those websites. They all have information on how to prepare your family. But in short, uh, there's four quick things. Make a plan. Uh, do the what-if game. What if we have to leave our house? Uh, is it going to be a hurricane in, in Chicago? Probably not. But are you near railroad tracks? Could there be a hazmat situation where you have to evacuate your home? Uh, we had a situation in, in the community that I live where an uh, underground uh, gas line that was heating uh, a residential pool broke. Two o'clock in the morning, you're hearing explosions underground from, from the gas, and a two- or three-block area had to be evacuated. Are you ready for a knock on the door at two o'clock in the morning that you have to leave your home? Do you have a backpack ready that has medications in it, that has, uh, you know, things for the children, uh, you know, baby food, things like that? If you have to go to a shelter for a couple of hours, you know, things you can take care of your family with. Um, that leads to the next point. Get a kit. Have a backpack prepared. Uh, go to your home improvement store. Get one of those five-gallon pails and throw things in there like toilet paper and a couple of cases of water in your, in your house. Again, what if the water main breaks in your neighborhood? Be informed. Know where to look for information, not only ahead of time, but again, where are you going to get information when something is happening? Obviously, listening to the radio, WBBM, all news, um, knowing the sources for social media, your local community, uh, um, police department, fire department, so on. And finally, get involved. Join a CERT team. Uh, join an emergency management agency. And uh, those are things that can really benefit your family for the, the what if, for the, the phone ringing at 3 o'clock in the morning from the reverse 911 from your community saying you have to evacuate because something bad has happened. Just basically don't, uh, especially don't be in denial. Don't say this isn't going to happen to me. That only happens in Louisiana and Texas and, and even other suburbs. That doesn't happen to me. Is that one of the things that keeps people from being prepared? Yeah, I mean, you know, look what happened in Plainfield a, a couple of months ago. There was a train derailment. Um, fortunately, it, it did not explode, but there was some uh, oil that was leaking from it. Uh, train tracks go through all the Chicago area. You don't know when something is going to happen. You don't know, you know, you, you look at the Cold City tornado. You, you shift that uh, 30 miles one way or the other, and it's impacting a whole different section of the Chicago region. So uh, you, you can't just say it won't. You hope it won't. It probably won't. But, again, that what if. you got to be ready. WBBM and HD Chicago, WCFS-FM and HD1 Elmwood Park, Chicago. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.